reading from Paul's letter to the Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thinking about our wandering through Romans and trying to see the parallels between then and now reminded me of a monumental personal moment from a few years ago. I watched a movie! Now it's not that astounding, but let's say that I am not the greatest contributor to the movie industry. That day, Patricia and I spent a dreary, rainy 4th of July attending the summer classic movie series at the old and ornate Victoria Theater in Dayton, an old-fashioned big-screen place. Lawrence of Arabia was playing. I suspect that many of us who are a little older have seen that movie or read the story. Now, ministering in a bloody emergency room bothers me not at all. Watching a bloody movie gives me the willies. And Lawrence of Arabia does blood excessively, for me anyway. After I recovered, I came back to one of my traditional biblical Calvinist understandings about human life. We humans haven't progressed very much since the tumble in the ancient garden. 
In our worst moments, we act like we've always acted, miserably, vengefully, hatefully, bloodily. A truth Paul touts in the first half of his letter to the Romans. You're supposed to go to the movies in order to have kind of a good time and get your spirits lifted a little. The movie depressed me for quite a while. Not because the various actors didn't do good things from time to time, but from my perspective, the movie was really without heroes. The least heroic being T. E. Lawrence, the title character. No matter which way I looked at the subject matter, I was led and still am led to conclude with Paul in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Parse it however you want, it's still true. Paul makes this point in a variety of ways in the first half of his letter. I highlighted his chapter 7 confession last Sunday. I do not understand my own actions, Paul says, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate, I do. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Remember that passage? And like at the end of Lawrence of Arabia, I'm about to pack it all in as hopeless. Humans throughout history stoop to the lowest animal level in our killing and pillaging and destroying and their moral equivalents in our daily lives. We may not like it, but Paul was right and still is. We can be quite wretched people. Am I depressed? Have I succeeded in depressing you? Kind of was my point. Providentially, divinely, Romans does not end with chapter 7. And neither does the good news of Jesus Christ leaving us, leave us waiting in a cesspool of self-loathing. Paul pulls off one of the greatest transitions in history, as far as I'm concerned, while standing there, all covered with guilt and shame, Paul shouts, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. What universe did that thought come from? Imagine. Imagine yourself a condemned resident of death row. I know, it's tough, but imagine just the same. The day of your execution arrives. You're expecting to go to your last meal and then to the execution chamber. The guard meets you instead with, pick up your stuff and go home. You're free. You wouldn't believe it, would you? 
Not until you had a good couple of months sleeping in your own bed. Now don't imagine, but understand, in the scope of God's justice system, we are all condemned. That's what Paul says for seven chapters. We may be differently guilty, but we are all guilty. As good as we think we are, and as good as we may be relative to our neighbor, or our brother, or our co-worker, relative to God's perfect standards, we're guilty. Paul's words are our words. Wretched man, wretched woman, wretched person that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who? Paul says, keep reading. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. And that's what we say we believe. Do we really believe it? In my worst moments, more moments than I would like to admit, when I realize that I am no more a hero than Lawrence of Arabia or my miserable neighbor or a junkie in rehab, do I really believe that I, guilty as sin, can stand before the throne of God with garments far whiter than any that adorned Lawrence? When in fits of disappointment with myself, I come out of my despair because I realize that Christ Jesus really and truly and finally opened my death row door and sent me back to my own free house. Not because I'm good or great or even nice, but because I am forgiven and redeemed and clothed with righteousness, not of self, but of Jesus. All I have to do is believe what Paul and others say is true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My God, I'm free, I'm saved, I'm God's. Unbelievable, still far from perfect, but I am forgiven and loved and made useful and usable. We could summarize that verse in another childlike way. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. One of the biggest challenges we educated, cultured, motivated humans face is our tendency to add a, yeah, but, to that simple, profound truth. Yeah, but, if God would just let us do things our way, we'd get to our goals so much faster. Immediately, we begin imagining solutions to issues that have plagued humanity since Eden and Roman times and the days of Lawrence of Arabia. I am all for sophistication and using our brains. God gave them to us for those purposes. 
However, our dogged determination to do things our way sometimes trips us up. We adopt impatience and call it a righteous characteristic, causing us occasionally, at least, to plow into and over folks who have better ideas than we. We frustrate ourselves by obsessing on the lack of progress in dealing with the long-standing issues all around us. Are there any long-standing issues all around us? Of course there are. We lose faith in others, in ourselves, and in God when we cannot clean up the messes that pile up against our windows of self-isolation, like the snows of a Rochester blizzard. Ooh, I'm going to have to deal with that this year, right? All I contend, because Paul's affirmation remains something less than a rock-solid truth under our anxious feet, Practically, we begin to condemn others for their failings and shortcomings. Forget that the boat we are bombarding is our boat, too. We are more now, perhaps, than we can ever remember all in this together. Still, nothing in all of the universes amazes me more than this. Wretched women and wretched men and wretched people are employed every day in God's saving and transforming economy of grace to remake and reshape our world in a way that brings honor and glory and praise to God and peace and goodwill among humans. Doesn't always look like it, but I believe it. And I think sometimes we simply need to swim in this incredible truth longer than we would like because we're so anxious about what we need to do. For seven chapters, Paul outlines the fallacy of the path of self-reliance. For four cinematic hours, Lawrence camels across the desert trying to do it better but always relying on his own way. And how often don't we, don't I, do the same? Paul says, give it up. Just give it up. Don't walk according to the flesh. Paul's way of describing, at least in part, our old, tested, and faulty ways of getting through life. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. We who are justly inhabitants of death row are sent home in freedom by the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is so incredibly easy to get stuck on the wretched person that I am a part of it really easy. The church I grew up in, as much as I loved that church for what it's made me, wanted to remind me that I was indeed a wretched little boy. I didn't stay there, although some days, 
some days. Paul says, close that chapter. Close that chapter. It had to be said, Paul said. But close that chapter. Move on. Come ahead with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't appear that T.E. Lawrence ever figured that out. But I'm glad on my best days that I did. I still wander in the desert from time to time, not on a camel, but on a trek. But I know that God will lead me out. God will lead us out. We follow the guy in the white robe, the real one, and he sets us free. Thanks be to God. Amen.